0: I suggested that last week a question would be answered in the sermon that we would begin to answer this week and something that we need to see. And so if you want to look with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. But when you get to Mark chapter 5, verse number 1, I want you to actually hit the rewind button and look one verse back from chapter 4. So when you get to Mark chapter 5, verse 1, if you'll stand in honor of God's Word. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1, that's where the sermon will be based out of today. But a question is asked at the very end of chapter 4, and I'm going to read it, and then I'll begin the reading at verse verse 1. It says, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Would you pray with me? Lord, when we look to Scripture, we are reminded. We are reminded that the whole world leans in to declare you. What even those who are completely opposed and estranged to you, they know you. I pray that this morning that we would know who you are, that we would declare who you are, that we would in this place see the magnitude of who it is who tames the wind and the waves and could also save our lives. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I, I, I will say this, and it's just kind of an interesting thought for us to consider. Um, last week, it was made apparent to me by a number of people afterwards that were like, what was point number three? And they were having trouble keeping up, and so I said, maybe I should do a little bit better job by by walking through the points as I do this, and so I'll be working a little bit harder at that for your sake, but as we go through, there'll be a couple key things that I'll talk about that I want you to take note of. But but that being said, let's look first at verse number one. Jesus and his disciples had been in this boat, and they had crossed over, and that tumultuous storm that had set in on them had disrupted... The peace. Jesus calms the peace down and there's this astonishment and awe that sets in. Now, I don't know about you, and like I said, we're not, we're not quite to verse number one yet, but as a measure of preface here, I want you to think about this. Are you still in awe of who Jesus is? I mean, are you absolutely mesmerized by him? Because there's this situation where this peace-giving Savior has, has created a calm in the midst of a, a life-altering moment. And if it doesn't inspire you to be humbled and, and adoring of Him on a regular basis to know that He does these types of things even today in our lives that when you get to verse number one of chapter five, you'll have a hard time seeing him. You see, I think a lot of people know a lot of things there are to know about Jesus. You know, if you watch the History Channel at the right time of the year, you can learn a lot about what other people think about Jesus. Now I will tell you, having watched some of those shows, they're oftentimes wildly inaccurate. You can read a lot of books about Jesus And most of those are lacking something. You can even listen to a lot of sermons about Jesus. But until you meet Jesus, as he's presented in this scripture, you may not have seen him the right way. So I always say temper everything. Temper the show you watch, the book you read, the the sermon you hear with what's in here. If you can compare all those things and they, they hold water with this, that's okay. That's great. But this is the gold standard. We get to verse number one and we see that immediately this moment, and Mark is filled with this, this expediency language. And as one author described it, Mark is the, is the hurried gospel. He's the, always this immediate speech. Verse number one says, then they came to the other side of the sea, wasting no time. I mean... And and this is life. You'll oftentimes be given this great big thing that'll happen to you, and there'll be no time for you to simmer in it or to marinate in it as you would. There, There is no opportunity for you to just say, that was really cool. Let's build up a huge historic thing about this. Let's write books, and let's talk about it, and let's dissect it. It's like, no, immediately, the next thing. And you see them on the other side. It says, to the country of the Gadareans. And so if you you know anything about the biblical maps and and the world around them, then you realize that this is a Gentile part of the world. Verse 2 says, and when he had come out of the boat, it says immediately. I told you that language was present. Everybody look at your neighbor and say immediately. I like that Mark includes it so frequently. It tells us something about the attitude that we should have when dealing with God that there should be an immediacy to it, not a when when we get around to it. Have you ever met anybody that's like, well one day I'll I'll get my life right with God or one day I'll go to church or, or maybe someday. And I like to tell people that someday is the eighth day of the week. I've never found it on a calendar and it's not after Sunday and it's not before Monday. The eighth day of the week doesn't exist. So stop telling the world that someday you'll do it. Mark makes a big point about immediately this happens. And you see this picture that immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Man, already a little bit uncomfortable, aren't we? In our our preparatory talks when I was talking about that this was where I was headed, um, Justin pointed out, and he was astute because I hadn't considered it at all. He goes, just in time for Halloween, demon-possessed man. I thought, man, I didn't see that one coming. Sometimes it's good to have great staff members that keep you on your toes. He was like, what timing? And I was like, man, interesting. Point number one I want you to take note of. And you'll see it. Each of us is a mess. Before we come to Jesus, once we meet Jesus and after so I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are a mess. <laughs> if you can't believe it, the person next to you and their testimony about you, then, you know, some of you probably should go. I mean, I don't know about you, but I always thought it was really cool, and, and, I, and I, I hounded a niece of mine for, for months to read the book, Make Your Bed. And I would always ask her, did you make your bed today? And in this book, there's a highlight of, of that if you make your bed every morning after you get up, that when you come home, no matter how good or bad the day is, that you'll have completed a task, right? Most of you are all in the room. If I took a poll, there'd probably be a pretty good split of how many of you made your bed this morning versus how many of you did not. I did not make my bed this morning. It might be made when I get home, I don't know. But I want you to know that the task is, is that there's something simple about the measurement in this, that you're a mess, and it's more than your bed. Sometimes it's about what you're thinking about, what you're talking about, what you're fretting about, all the things in your life that you're trying to fill yourself up with, and you're a mess. And you're trying to keep yourself buttoned up, and we get hair care products, and we get makeup, and we get, we get pedicures and manicures, and, and we get haircuts to do the thing and, and we buy the clothes that we think just so that we can conceal all of this mess. Trust, trust me. When Jesus looks at us, he sees the mess. He knows whether or not you took the trash out and he knows whether or not your shoes are still in the floor. He knows whether or not the dirty laundry hit the hamper or not. He knows. But he also knows all the things that are unkept inside of you. All the things that are deep inside of you that are a wreck. This this man, he's coming to Jesus with this unclean spirit. And we're gonna learn about his mess. It says, who had his dwelling among the tombs. When living things live where the dead things are, you know that life is wrecked. But I would suggest this is actually a picture of how about how, how many of us live our lives in the midst of death and decay all the time and we're trying to be alive in a dead world and we don't realize it and some of us prefer it and it's a mess. It says that no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Man, I will tell you that the world will sell you a cure. They will sell you a pill or a program. They will sell you instructions and they will teach you all about all the things to fix all your problems. And you'll still come up wanting and short a lot of the time. You'll see this picture where you don't realize it, but people will come in and they will offer advice on how to fix all of your problems. And, and some of you are just like me, and, and your toxic trait is just like mine, where you will help people to a fault. So much so that I've had to learn to recoil and say, do they really want my help? I've learned to answer phone calls in my office. How can I help you? Or somebody will come, and they will begin to talk to me. And this should not discourage you from wanting to come and talk to me. I want to I visit with you. I want to get to know you. I need to know about your life. Sometimes I get to the end of a conversation, and I'm like, okay, how can I help? we see this picture that people will lean in and they'll try to bind us. And they'll try to chain us down and they'll try to teach us how to be refined in the world we live in. But I don't know about you, but I sure don't season the fish or the meat before it's been skinned. And I sure don't think about trying to do it while it's in the water, and that's exactly what's happening here. People are trying to chain a man down who's not yet free inside. And it doesn't work this way. It goes on to tell us that he's a strong man. And that he doesn't have any problems with these chains. It, it just, it, verse 4 says, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. There's this picture of this man who, who the outside world leans in and describes his undesirable nature that they want to shackle him and chain him into a place where where only dead things go. And nothing can, can tame him there. And you're like, this is such a peculiar story. I think it's more peculiar of how he responds to Jesus, but we're getting there. I want you to see the magnitude of what's transpiring here. You see a person who in his own strength and ability, can overcome all of the supposed correction that would be offered to him. There's nobody in here that's got a strong will, is there? Any strong-willed children in the room? Any strong-willed adults as a result? No one in here that, that has a, a mentality that says it doesn't matter how much they tell me I can't do it, I'm gonna do it? I don't know about you, but people used to tell me, you can't do a thing, and then they just would prove to you that I could go do it. And sometimes when people know that about me, they're like, man, I'll just tell him he can't, and then watch him go, go, go wild trying to do it, kill himself trying to accomplish a task. I had a boss one time tell me, well, so-and-so called in sick. I don't think you're going to be able to get all this work done. And I was like, I'll show you. And later I thought, man, he really tricked me. Killed myself that day trying to get that job done, and I did that job, by the way. So your own strength sometimes can be a huge hurdle. Your own ability, your lack of willingness to submit to anything around you can be a huge hurdle to whether or not you will have a right relationship with God or the world around you. Sometimes we're too strong for our own good. Well, as a result of all of this, it goes on to say something even more intense. Verse number five, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out, cutting himself with stones. And this picture of this man in this moment tells me that we sometimes do more damage to our own selves because of the things that we're trying to make ourselves feel complete or make ourselves let the pain out. You know, I don't know about you, but our world is plagued with people that hurt themselves. Now, the way he describes it, or that he is described, is a very dangerous one. But I'll tell you, this very dangerous description does not elude us because the world around us has people that do these kinds of things even today. But I would suggest that there are more things that we should be considering about what's happening here, really important things. Some of us are strong and resistant to correction, and the world around us has given us all these insights on how we could be better people or how we could fit in or how we could be restrained from being a nuisance to the world around us. But you know what we do instead? We do what this man does we try to find a way to make ourselves feel just a little bit better. And some of us do it at the end of a bottle or in a violent eruption at home towards our children or, 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 or our spouses or maybe, maybe even we find it at the end of a needle or, or in a powder or, or something we smoke or, or maybe we find it in something else we do. Maybe in the, in the web where we, we seek the internet to, to satiate a desire for our lusts and our passions. and Maybe we fill ourselves up with all these sins and we hurt ourselves intentionally over and over and over again thinking we could fill this void. And You can't tell me it's not there because just like this man, the evidence leads us to believe that, that it's there. You know, there's much that could be said about any of the things I just mentioned. Some people think that they could, they could actually physically hurt themselves to let the pain out. But I'm going to tell you the truth. What's about to happen to him is the only thing that I know that will help the pain. He's going to meet Jesus. Aren't you excited that the mess that you are in your life can be satisfied by meeting Jesus? Now, his his initial introduction to Jesus is not not this life-altering moment. Instead, it's something a little uneasy. Follow with me. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. He begins to answer the question. But he does this thing. It says that he worships him. And I really was intrigued by the way this word was used here. And so I thought, I'll look this word up. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching the Bible study for the adults. And we've been talking about some Bible study techniques and skills, things that I would hope that they would employ so they would be better students of the scriptures. And one of those is, is that when you find a word that's interesting in a passage, you should see the way that that author uses that word. And I don't know, this is, this is deep stuff here, okay? So, you know, if you're not here for Bible study skills, then just put me on pause and rejoin in a minute when I start getting funny again, okay? That might not be ever, by the way. When we look to the Bible, authors use words in a way that sometimes is unique. specific to that author and so when you study the Bible you should be careful to pick a word out and then try to find that word everywhere else in the Bible because while that word might have the same meaning the author's usage of it might tell us something different about it so we should be careful when we interpret a word so this word of worship appears twice in mark this one right here where a demon-possessed man is worshiping Jesus I'll talk about the word meaning in just a moment The other time it's used is when the soldiers mock Jesus at the crucifixion. They bend their knee, they kneel, they worship him, they mock him. Both, at the time of their worship of Jesus, are not believing. Both are doing so in a manner that presupposes insult. But the word worship here is intense. Intense because it talks about when someone literally lays down and kisses the feet of a superior being to prostrate oneself. You know, worship is really cool because in the Bible it doesn't seem like, and point number two I really want you to take note of this morning is, is that worship isn't optional. You know how I know that worship is not optional? is because when you read the Bible it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That means that if you believe in Jesus, that you get to worship him, amen. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you still get to worship him. Amen. I've told a lot of people that means that in the smoking section of eternity, if you're not following along, that's hell. There will be worship. Worship will rise out of hell just like it will rise out of heaven because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because he is worthy of our worship. This demon-possessed man, unclean spirit, cannot help himself. He is not divided against himself. Oftentimes we have trouble seeing Jesus because we have both that nature which which clings to God and that nature with our flesh that wants to pull us away from it. And sometimes we are so confused because we have both natures warring all the time within us. But this demon-possessed man, he sees Jesus and he knows. And worship is his immediate reaction. And it's powerful. There'll be worship in the smoking and the non-smoking section, just, just so you know. It's not optional. It says he cries out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus? Calls him by name and then describes who he is, son of the most high God. The disciples who have been spending time with Jesus in the boat, watching him do miracles and in the midst of his ministry, don't know who he is. But this demon-possessed man in a foreign country, amongst Gentiles, recognizes Jesus immediately. Oh, that it would be this glorious in your life that when Jesus impacted you, that he would get down into your life in such a way that when people saw you, they would say, that's a person who identifies with Christ. But most of us are just doing our best to keep our head down and not be noticed at all. The question is answered. Who is this Jesus? Well, Jesus is the son of the most high God. What a statement. And then there's this, there's this moment where we have to really, really lean in here. Because he, he asked the question, you know, what have I to do with you? And then he says this, I implore you by God. How in the world does a demon-possessed man implore anyone by God? But he does right here. I've seen the most lost people in the world cry out to God. And I'm grateful that God is listening. But he he says this, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Point number three that I want you to to lean in with me on is is that we fear that God God will not be, no, excuse me, I'm I'm one ahead, excuse me. The demon-possessed man knows who Jesus is and we've already covered that so I'll go ahead and skip to four. We fear that God will not be just, but he always is. And so there's this moment, this thing that we have to deal with. And so there's your three and four, and you get this picture here that when we're wrestling with the scripture, we begin to see this moment when everybody that I know that doesn't know Jesus becomes very, very sincerely concerned with if this God thing is real and if this Jesus is who he says he is, what in the world is he going to do to me? because I know what I did and what I thought and what I'm, what I'm capable of. And we have this fear that God will not be just. That he will torment us. That we should be punished. That we would be deserving. But I talked about this on, on Wednesday night. I said, God is just. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God is just. But we also covered that God is merciful. So now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God is merciful. God is neither more just than he is merciful, and he is not more merciful than he is just. He is balanced in this way, in such a way that we can understand that he is both just and righteous, and he is merciful, and as a result, we don't get what we deserve, but he, as a result, does not seem To erase the debt. Instead, he, he, he requires it to be paid. If you don't believe that God is just, then don't look to the cross, because what you will see is his just nature. You will see a payment that is being made. You will see a transaction that is in front of us. I, I, was, I was just a, a young man, and I'm, I'm just in a conversation with this guy, kind of in a strange place in my life, and I kind of felt a little bit empty that night, and I just said, God, I want you to use me tonight and out of the sudden I mean, all of a sudden, out of, the, out of the blue, almost as if God was waiting for me to pray that prayer, a man shows up in front of me and we begin to have a conversation, and we, and we go about doing the task in front of us, and before you know it, I look at him and I realize what he's lacking is a relationship with Christ. And I say to him, "I know what you need." And he kind of looked at me and he's like, "What do you mean you know what I need?" only known me for a few minutes, and I said, man, you need Jesus, and he began to change color, you know that feeling whenever the bottom falls out, and the the blood kind of runs out of your face, and he is, he is dumbstruck, and the next words out of his mouth, because he he knows whatever happens next, if he changes life, he says, don't do this here, I mean, trembling, and I said, all right, let's step outside. And we'll have a conversation. And in a brief conversation, I give him an opportunity to follow the Lord. I teach him what I know about about the plan of salvation. He prays and he accepts the Lord. And in that moment, as if all the blood could come back to a person at once, it does. And he's changed. And this is the thing that is happening in the midst of people all around us. But the first question is, is, What do you have to do with me or what do I have to do with you? And please don't torment me. You know, most of the lost people in your community are afraid that God will ridicule or that the people of the church will ridicule them for all the mistakes they've ever made. We should feel a sense of remorse and shame for the things we've done wrong, but we're not here to point out your shortcomings and I'm not here to to, to make you feel awful about them. But if you feel awful about them, That's the work of the Holy Spirit in this place, and we welcome it. Because without that remorse, we wouldn't repent. Without that repentance, there'd be no change. We we see this picture here and this this immense sensation of who who this Jesus is in his midst. And what do we know? We know that the lost world doesn't understand that Jesus has come to rescue them. They think he's come to embarrass them. But the only one in my estimation who gets embarrassed because of salvation is when my Savior hangs naked on the cross or is beaten because of me. There's this, there's this moment and in my study I come across this, this, this man and there's going to be a picture of him on the screen. Floyd Collins. Floyd Collins lived in the 1920s, and this man decided that he was going to do what a a number of other people were doing, and that was they were exploring caves. And in his exploration in 1925 of this particular cave, he wanders deep into this, this cave, and what he's searching for is fortune. He's looking for treasure that's hidden. In the course of his going. He loses his lantern light. He's groping around in the darkness. And in doing so, he unsettles a very heavy rock. They they express that later excavation would would say that the the rock was about seven tons. It shifts and pins him in a a coffin-like space. The leg is trapped, and he begins to bellow for help. He is stuck. Rescue ensues. They decide they're going to try, to try to find some way to move him out of there, to try to get to him. They're going to try to do this, and it becomes well known, and tourists begin to come and see the matter. And he's stuck there for days and days. It's so much so that the tourist crowd is growing, and the vendors are showing up to feed the tourists. And it's quite the spectacle. not being able to rescue the man, his last words are, are you coming to help? I guess not, and goodbye. And he, he perishes. He said, Brother Ben, that's a really morbid story. I'd say that the man with the unclean spirit looks a lot like Floyd Collins. He's trapped. And no one can lift his heavy burden. But instead, what the church does is we sit by and we watch the show instead of introducing him to the one person who could lift the stone. We will gather up and we will, we will be in a situation where we will know about all the bad things that are happening in the world around us and the people around us. And we will talk about how pitiful it is and how sorry it is and and how awful that thing occurred. And, And all the while, we'll be missing the opportunity to lean in and offer Jesus. And instead, we buy refreshments and we gather with our friends and we wonder, we wonder if others will be able to move the rock. But just like on Resurrection Sunday, there's only one, there's only one person who can roll away the stone. And I would suggest that you might be here today and you might be trapped. You might feel this burden that no one else can lift. And trust me, if this church could lift the burden, we would have already begun to do it. But instead what we do is we offer you Jesus who can lift the burden because we know that this church serves a savior who can do that. But I cannot and you cannot, but Jesus can. He can take all the burden of your sin he could take you from that place of addiction or that place of, of searching the web and looking for all those things that fill you up that don't. He could take you from kneading the needle or, you know, in modern era, the, the pen or the patch or whatever it is. He could take you from those things. But oftentimes what we think is, is that we think that this God thing isn't about rescuing us. But like Mr. Collins, we wonder if anybody's coming, and I guarantee there's somebody this morning that's... It's wondering if anybody's coming. And maybe it should be our purpose to say we can show you the one who calms the sea and the wind obeys him. That even the demons know his name. He's Jesus. Do you know him today? Maybe you need to ask him to lift something in your life. Something that is so great that you can't lift and that no one else can help you with. And maybe we can point you to him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to, we're going to pray and we're going to invite you to come. And maybe you don't feel comfortable this morning walking down the aisle and, and doing that in front of other people. Well, know that if you can catch me, I'd be glad to talk with you. But don't let it be a reason for you not to come. I don't know about you, but in the moment in my life where I was trapped, I had to overcome the fear of what other people thought in order to be saved. And that's how we'll know it's serious when you're willing to cry out saying, I'm pinned and I can't save myself. I'm too strong and the world's tried to offer me all the cures and it doesn't work. I've broken all the chains only to be cast out and I cry out in a loud voice and no one hears me. And I'm not acceptable anywhere. And What I need is to meet Jesus. How about you? Would you stand with me today? I'm gonna invite Justin to come. I'm gonna invite Brandon to come and Boyd's gonna head towards the back and if you wanna talk to any of us, you're welcome to come and we can talk. But but I hope that you, I hope that you will learn that all the conventional methods that we use to, to, to save ourselves, that they're all coming up short. They're all dramatically and desperately coming up short but we know someone who doesn't come up short. His name is Jesus. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house, an opportunity to hear the scriptures, an opportunity to to look to you as the son of the most high. Lord, to give all of our things to you. Lord, to stop being a crowd gathered around the perishing and to start being people who are crying out for Jesus in the midst of the struggle of others that are promoting Jesus in the midst of the struggle of others that are pointing to the one solution the one answer is you What I pray for these that are here today if there's anyone that feels trapped and pinned and if they are struggling in this moment if they feel like that their own strength isn't doing it and the, the world's correction isn't doing it then maybe they need you today I pray that they'd have a the courage to come I pray that we would all declare you as the Son of the Most High. And we would welcome you into our lives. I pray that we would have the courage to do this. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.